Thank you so much, Chad. <clears throat> really appreciate uh, Chad being here this morning to help us out and to really lead our, wor our worship service. <clears throat> As I was um, sitting this morning, um, I was thinking through uh, the last time I had a presentation, not like this, but I, about three years ago, I was presenting at a major medical conference, and um, it wasn't really about our company, uh, but I had been asked to speak uh, by Fresenius Medical. <clears throat> uh, they were um, talking about many of their patients who had dialysis uh, training. And I was asked to speak on the technology at the time. I wasn't the keynote, but there was a dozen people in front of me speaking, uh, interestingly enough. And um, I was generally not nervous and uptight, uh, but in this case, I was, I was a little bit uptight because I was representing my company and I was supposed to be the keynote. Um, and uh, I had a, a bottle of water with me and so I was kind of waiting for my turn to come around while all these other folks spoke. And um, it was my turn to, spoke, to speak, and they introduced me, this glorious introduction, long, silly resume, and so forth. And I stood up, and I thought, I'm going to take one more quick sip of water. I took a sip of water, and it went ra down the wrong pipe. And I think water flew everywhere. I mean, when I coughed, water went flying all over the place. And that wasn't so bad. I thought I could recover from this, no problem. A big introduction. And I look up, and everyone in the audience is like this. <laughs> and it, it was so comical, I had to start laughing. And, um, and once I started that, I think I coughed three or four more times, <clears throat> and that was it. And, and somehow I made it through and, and recovered. <clears throat> I'm hoping that's not going to happen today. Uh, as, as Ryan mentioned, uh, Pastor Marty uh, is on a well uh, vacation this week, so I'll be speaking on one of the topics that Marty asked me to consider. And if you may recall, last year I spoke on the parable of the soils. And that parable, Jesus helped us understand that we can present the message of the gospel to different people, uh, and those people will respond differently depending upon how they receive that message in their heart. <clears throat> in the parable of the wheat and the tares, Today, in the topic of today's message, Jesus adds another dimension to our understanding of sharing the gospel. And in this parable, Jesus tells us that we need to be aware that as we're sowing the seed, we're, we're not only going to have to deal with different reception and different soils, if you will, but we're also going to face opposition. My high school coach, hey, uh, we're running plays today. But remember, the defense is out there, and they're going to be running some plays, too. In today's scripture, we're going to see firsthand that, like us as well, the disciples were constantly asking questions about God's kingdom. What's the kingdom of heaven? Where is it found? Who gets in? Who doesn't? Has it already begun, and we missed the beginning? Believers in just about every generation ask these same kinds of questions. And in terms of parables, parables are seemingly simple and memorable stories. <clears throat> and although these parables seem simple, their messages often convey deep and central to the teachings of Jesus, especially his teachings about the kingdom. Now, does anybody, we're going to test your biblical literature skills here, does anybody know how many parables there are in the Bible? Not rhetorical. <laughs> I know uh, most people say, oh, 
probably a half dozen, perhaps a dozen, maybe 15 at the most. But actually, depending upon how you count those parables, there were about 30 in the canonical Gospels. And um, it's interesting in that if you actually look historically, that there were really only three or four that were really raised up in terms of medieval art compared to the other 26, if you will. And they're, they're pictured here. You recognize uh, most of them. The Ten Virgins, the Good Samaritan, the Prodigal Son, and, of course, the Rich Man and Lazarus. Today's parable, however, concerns the wheat and the tare. It was a story that made sense to a lot of his listeners. Why? Uh, because Israel was an agrarian society at the time. Now, this is a parable that's tough for Americans to understand because today, only about 3% of our population lives on farms. And if you're attuned to the media and you hear what's happening, actually, that number is dwindling pretty significantly. Now, I think Hope Church might be a slight exception to that rule, given that Marty grew up on a farm, and our pastor certainly has shared with us a number of, um, a number of interesting stories about farms. Right to the uh, scripture this morning. We don't have a slide uh, for the scripture reading this morning. I'm going to read it. <coughs> Excuse me, but if you'd like, you can uh, follow along in your Bibles. It's from Matthew chapter 13, verses 20. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemies came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain was as sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came to him and said, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have the tares? He said to them, an enemy has done this. The servant said to him, you want us to go out then and gather them up? But he said, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares, bind them in bundles and burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. The word of the Lord. Let's see if we can find out more about what Jesus had to say together. Please bow your heads as I pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth be acceptable to you. If I say things that are displeasing to you, Lord, let those words be as dust in the wind and throw them aside as if they never existed. And may the people hear things that I do not say because they heard you, Lord. Amen. So after telling the parable, the disciples asked for an explanation of the story of the tares. And I think this is just another great example of how the disciples are reflected as so very human, very much like us. Remember from a number of months ago, the story of the tomb where Peter and John ran back and John shouted, I got there first. <laughs> I love that. Marty was talking about Paul and a heartbreaking sermon on May 7th of this year in his letter to the Romans, and he talked about how Paul's heart was broken. But then in Romans 11, a few weeks later, Pastor Marty talked about where Paul was extremely excited. Why? Because there was redemption, redemption, and a great time was coming, especially for the Jews whose hearts had been hardened to Christ. So what we do is we find ourselves in pretty good company, even with the disciples, 
And even after a few other parables, interestingly enough, the disciples said, hey, can you take us back to that parable about the weeds and the tear again? We'd like to go over that and, and talk about it a little more. And interestingly, again, another really good example that when people have questions, when the disciples had questions, and when we have questions of things that we don't understand, particularly if they clash with what we think about God's character, here's an example where the disciples asked Jesus directly, and we can do the same thing through prayer. So what would I like to accomplish today? Two simple things. Let's talk about the parable, context, and the story and then identify some implications for today. And as usual, you know that you can't get away from me talking about some PowerPoints. So <laughs> I've already identified up front, and we'll walk through these together uh, this morning, that uh, there's really kind of four key messages that I'd like to work, work through very quickly this morning. First is, of course, Satan is at work. He's a master counterfeiter. But we can't panic, and we can't judge because the opposition is not going to be around forever. Judgment is coming. So let's take the first piece here, Satan at work. This is one of the rare examples in the Bible where when the disciples asked the question of Jesus, Jesus took the time to actually explain the meaning. In explaining the parable, Jesus tells us that the one who sowed the seed, the good seed, is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the son of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is, of course, the devil. The harvest is at the end of age, and the harvesters are angels. You see, Jesus now is setting up this dramatic tension. Dramatic because it's pretty clear that while the Lord is working very hard, to bring people into the kingdom, Satan is on the other side of that road, and he's working really hard to keep us out. Now, in these biblical times, it was not uncommon for an enemy to come in under the cover of darkness and sow seeds of terror so as not to try and ruin the wheat. And I just uh, went into, uh, I, I, I was able to capture a couple of pictures. Wheat, obviously, everybody knows what that looks like, but if you Look at the tares. This is a type of Darnell weed. It's a soporific for those people who are on their way to medical school. Um, and uh, this is actually poisonous. Uh, so when mixed in with the wheat, it, it can really poison uh, people. And just as in those days, we shouldn't forget that not only is there a battle like this, but there's a battle being waged that we don't see. Ephesians 2 reminds us, for our struggles are not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the of the dark world, forces of evil in the heavenly realms. David Kruger from First Life Sermons reminds us, there is a real powerful battle between the forces of spiritual good and the forces of evil in this life. Well, we imagining all this, are we imagining the battles that exist you don't have to imagine very much. All you have to do is turn on your TV, listen to your radio or podcast, and you see that there is a lot of evil and a lot of struggles going on today. Of course, you can't ignore Dobbs versus the Jackson Women's Health Organization with Roe versus Wade, and certainly the Supreme Court has already ruled, but now that battle is being waged in the streets. 
course, uh, gun legislation is high on everyone's list, especially with recent uh, movements by the House and the Senate. And I think an interesting one is this uh, Kennedy versus Bremerton School District, which is also catching the attentions, attention of many, where you may recall this is a coach, uh, and, and the question is, he's a football coach, can a public school employee say a brief quiet prayer himself while he's at school, it's actually while he was on the field of play, visible to students and engaged? And is that government speech that lacks any First Amendment protection? So that's, that's an important one that's still going on. And, and as we seek to live for the Lord, Satan is act, actively working, you can see by some of these examples, to derail us. As we try to share the gospel with others, one is going to try and frustrate our attempts at every turn. And Satan is shrewd, and frankly, he's done a pretty good job of getting us to overlook him. You see, it's the spiritual battle because we can't physically see it taking place. Don't give serious consideration to Satan because we often see him as a cartoon character with horns and a pitchfork. He looks sinister and scary to children at Halloween, but otherwise seems pretty harmless. But surprisingly, there are some very frightening examples and obvious examples of what's happening today. Now maybe you can uh, share, our, share our video. So the video will show here, but I don't know that it's gonna show online. Hi, I'm Ron Reagan, an unabashed atheist, and I'm alarmed, as you may be, by the intrusions of religion into our secular government. That's why I'm asking you to join the Freedom From Religion Foundation, the nation's largest and most effective association of atheists and agnostics working to keep state and church separate, just like our founders intended. Please join the Freedom From Religion Foundation today. Ron Reagan, lifelong atheist, not afraid of burning in hell. Thank you. Pretty, um, pretty scary, pretty frightening. And uh, just a couple of comments about that commercial. If you may have seen it before, you may recall that it actually aired during the Democratic candidate debates a number of years ago. And at the time, all of the candidates actually had their pictures across the bottom of, in a banner. It's astonishing to me that people would lend their photograph, their picture, and their reputation to something like this. And interestingly, second interesting point is that Ron Reagan references burning in hell, which seems somewhat of a paradox to me uh, in terms of what he and the atheists are trying to achieve. But the last point is actually interesting as well. They got it backwards. What happens is, for all of the folks who are history and government majors, you remember that the separation of church and state is not what everybody thinks. Our founding fathers meant for the state to stay out of church business, not the other way around. So it's, anyway, sort of fascinating to me. <coughs> Is it running? Okay, I'm sorry, I didn't see it. Yeah, it's not on the back piece there. The other, uh, the other thing I'd like to point out is, in terms of evil in our world, if you're a Spectrum user or DirecTV or some of the other channels, you may ask yourself, how many pornography channels are out there? <laughs> the answer is, 
It's hard to tell. It's near impossible to tell. Why? Because the brand folks and the artists have done a tremendous job of camouflaging the pornography that exists in our world. If you actually try to count, you can't, you cannot, aside from a few obvious examples, you cannot tell what's real, what's normal, what's good, and what's more sinister that's out there. So when we take a look at how evil is allowed to commingle and coexist with the good in this world, who has not had a hard time questioning at times, why on earth didn't God stop it? And maybe that pun is intended. Who on earth hasn't wanted control and take matters into their own hands and stop the prevalence of this kind of evil. Well, more on that in a minute. Let's move on to Satan as a master counterfeiter. And I've taken a number of comments from Bruce Getchke at the Union Church of Harp, Illinois, because I found his comments so telling here. And he points out in John 10, records Jesus as saying, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. So you see, this verse sets up a juxtaposition between the thief and the destroyer and Jesus, the life giver. The devil is in the business of killing, stealing, destroying, and Satan does this part by planting and producing lookalikes or counterfeits, even false gospels that strive to hinder the work of God. If we're going to stand firm in a world of false teaching, we'd better be well-grounded in the truth. You know, churchgoers are being seduced by the Mormon church, Jehovah's Witnesses, Eastern religion, Scientology, New Age cults, because we need to know our scripture better. From 1 John, beloved, do not believe in every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And you know, recognize what many of these uh, false gospels are. We, won't, we don't have time to go into much detail about them. I just uh, identified a few um, in terms of uh, the works gospel. Works gospel says you, your salvation depends on you. It's all about you. And if you participate in the sacraments and rituals, you get there. Don't worry about the rest. The New Age gospel is all I have to do is be in touch with my own divine nature and I'll figure it out. And of course, we can't forget Tony Robbins, the power of positive thinking. You just got to have faith in something. It doesn't matter what, just have faith in something. And the divine spirit of the universe, well, you, you get all that. Jesus addresses these in Matthew 24 when he said unto them, Heed that no deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and I shall deceive many. The devil is now busy at work in the same field in which the Lord sowed good seed by a process of imitation and mimicry. His aim is to neutralize the work of Christ. But you and I know that the core of the gospel is simple. It's actually very simple. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the scriptures alone, and any other message of salvation is false. Third point this morning is, with all of this going on, all of the evil that I've showed you, we can't panic, we can't judge. 
The servants in Jesus' parable were ready to go out and eradicate the weeds from the field. A reminder from Luke, and when his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? But he turned and rebuked them. And he said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Likewise, God is patient, and we should also be patient. The owner of the field knows that there are weeds in his field. He knows that those weeds could poison others if they are mixed with his wheat. But he also knows that inappropriate action will do more harm than good. We need to place our face, our confidence in God. We can't make people believe. We can't force people to live morally. We can't shout down abortionists in the street. We can't reason with looters in the middle of the night. We can't force people to pass the peace if they don't want to. We have to show them a better way. We do this by reflecting the character of Jesus rather than adopting the methods of this world. In our zeal to eradicate the tares, we may, we may pull up some of the We can't well. reason with looters in the middle of the night. We can't force people to pass the peace. A little bit, little bit of reverb there. Consider the history of the church. When the church has historically tried to force obedience or morality, and you know what examples crusades, the Inquisition, the Salem witch trials, and so on, the list goes on, it's always hurt the cause of Christ. It's done damage to that which is good. People see anger, not love. They see aggressiveness, not humility. They see harshness, not gentleness. So let me take a more personal example. What if others who don't know me looked back on my life and they saw certain seasons where I didn't reflect that of a side. Answer, hey, I have a lot of shameful examples in my life. You don't have to remind me. Country singer, songwriter Blake Shelton wrote, what's the greatest chapter in your life? Are there pages where it hurts to look? I wonder if you have pages in, in your book where it hurts to look. If so, remember that God not bound by time. He's always been seen. He always sees me as who I would become. And hey, I'm still trying every day. He sees you and I can become, and he sees who we're going to become. He sees your potential. Brian, Jane, Michelle, he sees all of our potential. He sees the plans that he has for now. He created you. And why? Unlike you and I, he can see your heart. And he does not do away with you or root you out when you're in a season where you're not producing much fruit. He'll wait for the harvest. He'll wait for the maturity. So is this parable teaching us that we should simply stand on the sidelines and not say anything when we see perversions of truth? or see our moral standards decaying and eroding? No. But I do think there's an important lesson. As we withstand evil, we must do so appropriately.
Our response to the terrors that reside beside us in this world is to be the light before them. We are called to be and we are called also to expose the darkness. We're to show the light of Christ by the way of salvation. For example, we can't remain silent on abortion. We must point out the freedom to do what you want also requires that you live with the consequences of those choices. And personally, I believe that 100 years from now, historians and writers are going to look back at our time and they're going to say and question, did this go to the protests for the rights to kill their own babies? Is that really what happened? You went into the streets to protest that right? Likewise, if a person points a gun and it goes off on another, they have to live with the consequences of that choice. Likewise, if a person drives drunk and kills another, they have to live with the consequences of that choice. We should argue for the rights of every life, especially those who are most helpless, but we should do so like Jesus. We should not be vicious, we shouldn't be violent. We must do so with love and compassion. When we act in wild and angry and crazy and hateful ways, we give people an excuse to dismiss us because of our actions, not because of our explanation, not because of what's in here. We are not to tear out the wheat with the weeds. So is all lost? Not at all, not at all. The opposition is not forever. The delay in weeding the wheat was not to be mistaken. The owner had no intention of leaving the weeds in the wheat forever. Do you see the metaphor in coming? From Matthew 13, as the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so will it be at the end of age. People make a fatal mistake when they take God's restraint and see it as God's approval. They make an equally bad mistake when they conclude that God hasn't judged sin, and so therefore he's unable to do so. But the day is coming. God's waiting until judgment will no longer hurt those. He's waiting for the appointed time, and that time is coming. That's not just wishful thinking. We have to be clear that Scripture tells us that is going to happen. One of the false gospels that I mentioned earlier is that many people believe that everyone will go to heaven in the end. But that's not what Jesus taught. Some people believe that when you die, you die. That's it. It's all over. There's no more. The resurrection of Jesus proves that that notion is completely false. And judgment is coming. And finally, this passage reminds us that someday we are going to stand before holy God and give an account of our lives. That can happen any time. And every time I hear this, I always think of, one of my favorite uh, Ron White stories. So Ron White, for those of you who may not know him, is one of the masters of the Blue, comedy, blue Collar Comedy Hour. And Ron tells the story of flying on a two-engine plane across Florida during a storm, and the pilot summarily came on and said, oh, we lost one of our engines. We only have one engine, and we're, we're just flying on one, and we're going to have to divert. And Ron said there was a gentleman across the aisle from him who apparently this was his first time flying. He was white-knuckling it. 
And he leaned over to Ron. He said, one engine? How far can this plane go on one engine? And Ron White replied, all the way to the site of the crash. And we'll probably beat the paramedics by about 30 or 40 minutes. Well, regardless of how Ron White might tell our story, Jesus reminds us that the end-time judgment in which his angels will gather the terrors as a means of separating the unbelievers from the believers. On the day of judgment, the law of harvest will make manifest those who are the tares and who are the wheat, the believers. And I'm certainly reminded of a well-known passage that you know as well, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, so also that he will reap. Now, I can make this very, very, very personal. As a former pharmaceutical executive and biotech leader, I can tell you without reservation that I've hired hundreds and hundreds of people. And they all had interviews. And they all had a final interview. And I kind of think of this final interview as my final interview, too. What happens? What's going to happen during that time when we're going to give an accounting of our lives. And I think it will go something like this. Okay, Ted, I gave you a loving father, a mother, beautiful mother and family. I gave you a beautiful and loving wife. I gave you beautiful children and grandchildren, a beautiful home. In fact, more than one. I gave you an exciting career that created opportunities to save the lives of real patients and real people. I gave you great friends. I gave you a and loving church family. I gave you financial success. What did you do with it? What did you sow? Did you tell others about me? And can you tell me, by the way, Ted, how did you respond to the gracious and loving offer, offer of forgiveness that was given by my father through me? Brothers and sisters of hope, the answer to that question is going to determine our fate. Remember what we said about our actions and com consequences earlier. If we refused or ignored God's gracious gift, then you and I will have to live with those consequences. On the other hand, if you've turned to and truly trusted Jesus as the only one who can save you, if you have followed him as your Lord, then you and I will be part of a rich harvest. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you so much for this parable. Thank you so much for the messages which you explained to us this morning. Like the wheat, we're so looking forward to being part of the rich harvest. Please write these messages indelibly upon our hearts this morning.